year, man. You know what I'm saying? I got all them mediums in my closet for the past few years. I'm going to work out. I'm going to work out. 2022, it's time, man. It's the beginning of the year, so now is the perfect time for you to go to the gym and make everybody that goes to the gym year-round extra angry. Uh, I don't (laughs) know why they get mad. I was like, we all paid the same membership. My membership is actually supplementing your membership. So that's how you get to go to the gym. You know what I'm saying? You think the gym costs, you know, whatever it is. I go to Planet Fitness, so I'm like, yeah. you really think they can afford Planet Fitness on this little $10 a month? It take, It's a village. It takes all of us. <laughs> you know what it I'm saying? It takes all of us. So I said, when y'all get mad at us for showing up in January, I'm like, nah, man, this is this is our gym. We let is, you use it the rest crazy. of the year. The yes, rest of the year. February. Mad. It's coming. That's, that's you know, I, I, I try to put a couple of things together when it comes to going to the gym because you know what I'm saying I got you know very little notoriety, very little, very little. But you know my DMs is pretty cool, so I try to you know hang out with some girls. I'll be like, hey, just meet me at the gym. Like I asked my date to meet me at the gym, but she never showed up. So I guess the two of us aren't gonna work out. Aren't gonna. All right. Well, that was. That was better than the last one. That was better. That was better than the last one. So, hey, you know, it is what it is. Moving I'm forward. So, I'm so glad it was a joke because I was about to be like, dog, you you invited a girl out on the gym date. I said, are you is that is that the new thing? I've done that. But the, the girls that I've I've asked to go, this is when I was working out heavy. They would show up with a face full of makeup. And I'm over here because they're thinking, ah, this nigga in shape. You know, at the time, uh, this, uh, this nigga in shape, he's gonna be fly. I was like, I'd be in like an old Undertaker shirt and some two short shorts, and they got a face full of makeup and whole body suits. I'm like, bruh, like it's not a gym day. A gym day for me is not a good look. That's a uh, you know, no. <laughs> you know, you know what is a good look? What they were talking about before that uh, Jay Z versus Lil Wayne. If that was to be a thing, who you think would win? Uh, I think Jay-Z. Jay-Z? I think Jay-Z, hands down. And this is nothing against Lil Wayne. This is really nothing against Lil Wayne, because I know people have a thing uh, about the legacy of Lil Wayne. I told you, man, I was in New Orleans when the squad tapes was popping. I remember. So it's not a matter of, uh, I, it's not that I don't think that Lil Wayne is talented. It's that I don't think, and I think it was Nice Wonder that posted a possible Jay-Z set list. I don't think people are uh, realize the level of work that Jay, it's it's easy to forget how much work he has out there. Plus, plus, at the end of the day, let's just say hypothetically, Jay-Z is losing and it's bad and Lil Wayne is killing them. Jay-Z can bring out the only person I think could legitimately beat him in the verses, his wife. If Beyonce steps out on that stage and people are like, oh, who could battle? Beyonce can battle Jay-Z. In yeah, the Beyonce verses. and Jay-Z could battle. I've seen Beyonce and Jay-Z battle in a verses. It was called a concert. Beyonce won every night. Every, every single, single night. Every I, went single there to see, I went there to see Jay. I was yeah. looking. I was like, wow. You know, um... Your show ain't that great next to your wife, son. And I love you had water. I love it. I love Jay-Z. But I was like, Doug, if you think you are putting on a concert that is beating this woman, 
uh, that's just it. It was the same way I felt when I went to uh, Nas and Mary J. Blige. I was like, oh, wow, Nas, you were one of my favorite acts. Oh, you were one of my favorite acts. You are an opening act for Mary J. Blige. I'm sorry. Like, once she get going, I was like, yo, I can. And you can see the crowd. It was like a whole bunch of dudes that brought their girls. And they was like, yo, I'm here to see Nas. Everybody else like, I'm here to see Mary J. And... I love I'm Nas. I've seen Nas three times in concert. It's terrible. I'm sorry. I, there's some there. There is something to say about you know you're getting a lot more new talent that's coming out that works on a stage show. I will say they lean more towards the melodic side of rapping. So yeah, like when you and I went to the Don Tolliver show, like they have a lot more stage you presence. You didn't want to say Don Tolliver. I did want to. Well, Travis Scott. Oh, oh no, 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 <laughs> lead up to Travis Scott. Look, I was just talking about Don Tolliver's stage set. And then that led into, like, when we saw the Travis Scott show, you are seeing them develop a lot more into a stage show. Now, is it as lyrical as a Jay-Z? Absolutely not. But there is something to be said about people that can get up there and have an exciting stage show. Because a lot of lyricists that I like, I'm like, nah. I be thinking about their shows and I'm like, yeah, it was me standing in Warehouse Live amongst a bunch of dudes smoking, watching Freddie Gibbs. Like, it was fun, but it also wasn't. <laughs> it also was not. It also, it also was not. It was dark. Was it was dark, but that's when it's dark. You can't see how black and ugly as ever I am. Black and ugly as ever I ever stay using down to my socks once again, once again. Oh, no, oh, no, it's them again. It's them boys from In My Humble Opinion. That's us. That's me. As a child, I was probably five. So that means you were, that's Devon. He was probably nine because we're no, four I think years you, I think I think you were four and I was eight. Okay, whatever. It's close enough. Did that, did that year difference mean anything? No, it didn't. But I just wanted to throw it out there. Go ahead. That's fine. Uh, oh, no, no, it's them again. Boys, are my humble opinion. I'm Avery, like a very nice guy. A underscore V-E-R-I-I-I-I. You could find me everywhere on all social medias under that handle. It just is what it is. Or Vince McMahon's. You get the joke if you watch wrestling. If you don't, look it up. It's very simple. It's basic. Uh, if not, like you can also find my brother, Just Devon, ladies and gentlemen. You can find Just Devon. Where can we find you, Just Devon? Go ahead. You talk. Uh, I, I think I'm on Twitter as is it Just Devon? Uh, I don't know. I'll be forgetting. And on he's Instagram, on Twitter at Just Devon. Twitter on Just Devon. I would be on Instagram as Just Devon, but there is somebody that has the Just Devon page. And I kind of want to reach out to him and be like, yo, can I have that? But I feel like once I do, they'll be like, nah. And not because I think people are bad is, is exactly what I would do. Like, if I only had four photos and somebody reached out to me like, yo, I really like your name, I'd be like, how much? Because this means nothing to me and everything to you. <laughs> <laughs> You're a terrible person. But yes, that, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. But that's enough for me. And plus, they could find both of us, in my humble opinion, at my humble o on all social medias. And you could find us on what Stitcher, on Instagram, uh, or said Instagram on YouTube, whatever. In my humble opinion, podcast that is us. Look for the symbol. There it is. It's right there for you. And we were speaking about Jay Z and how you know, hey, 
I think Lil Wayne will win, but that's just whatever. But Jay-Z said one line to me that it, it, it really stuck with me. Good dude. I know you love me like cook food. So, you know, that line stuck with me as a young 15-year-old high school sophomore. Why do you say that, I said, as I was scooping loads of my mom's gumbo down my gullet. Now, blowing on that spoon because it's con- on its contents to make sure that I don't burn my throat. Then it hit me. This is one of the spices of life that we can enjoy in this earthly vessel, right? The joy of ingesting these particular ingredients put together in a collaborative effort, like your favorite SUC song, right? It's, it's not like eating a peach or an apple, which are amazing in and of itself, but the fact that Brenda slaved over the stove to cook this food for me, Larry, and Devon, and the fact that it came out perfectly was the ultimate experience. It all made sense then. So our next guest journey to food is a tale of persistence, Focus, drive, and elevation. She's a student, a teacher, an author, a mother, and a chef. Chef Tiffany Janelle, ladies and gentlemen. Hi. Hi, how's it going? That was such a nice introduction. That was very nice. Uh, Jay-Z is my favorite rapper, so I love that. It's very nice. Who do you think think is winning in the verses between Jay-Z and Lil Wayne? I mean, this the verses should not have even made this a conversation. I said that from the beginning. I said, somebody is going to bring up the, I don't know why they would do that. But if you'd like to, uh, to your point, Devon, you know, I feel his wife is the only person that could do it. I love Wayne. I've known Wayne since he was 13 years old, you know, uh, nice young man. I think he's lyrically talented. I think he's got great delivery. I mean, I could give him a lot of kudos, <clears throat> but I'm be able to allow him to uh, <laughs> he's a Libra and he needs that balance so that that's your boy <laughs> Manny Fresh gonna be mad at you yeah he is I'm gonna say you know Manny is my boy and I mean you know I know I've known them for a long time those are some good guys and you know I love everybody but you know rap is a you know rap the rap game the food game you know I tell people all the time the drug game I mean I could go on about <laughs> those three areas are very you know, highly competitive. I'll just leave it there. Highly competitive. So I get that. So. You know, speaking of, and this is what I find interesting. Uh, have you, Chef uh, David Chung, uh, he has the show Ugly Delicious that was on Netflix. And he came to Houston and he had some Houston chefs, uh, some notable Houston chefs here. And at one point he said, y'all know that Houston is the international food capital of the world. He said it's the culinary city of the world. And everybody kind of held back and then kind of pushed back a little like, oh, that's cool. You know, because you think, oh, well, there's Paris and there's New York and there's Los Angeles. And uh, I haven't been to all of those places, but I've seen their food. Um, I think Houston does not realize like how much food and variety and stuff is here. Uh, But what are your feelings about being a chef in Houston? And just that quote by David alone. No, I, I, I respect David Chung. He, I mean, he's absolutely right. Let me just leave with that. Um, You know, I'm very proud to be from Houston. I I tell people that all the time. I just, a lot of people don't think I'm from here. I don't, I don't know why, but I just did a little explanation on my Instagram stories the other day. I'm from Sunnyside. Okay. I'm from Sunnyside. It's okay. By way of, I was born in Sharpstown Hospital. I went to high school at Eisenhower. So I spent a great deal of time in Nickers Homes. 
you know, Houston is the Mecca to me of good food. My brother and I joke all the time about how we just go a lot of places. There's some bad food out here, y'all. Like, it's some bad <laughs> food. That, that, Particularly in the very end of things. Like, you can't go, like, when you want to come to Houston, I can take you for every cuisine across the world, really. I mean, there's something here for everyone. My first job ever, uh, I don't think anybody really knows this, was for Kieran's, which is a fine dining Indian restaurant here. Um, so I had a lot of experience coming from French culinary, inst you know, institutionalized thought processes of European cooking and going straight into this high spice, you know, background and food. And I mean, I love that. I love to take, you know, these really complicated spices and simplify them for the American palate. So I think people don't realize where they live because we get kind of honed in on barbecue and soul food and these kind of big arching themes, but there's some really beautiful, delectable places to enjoy food here. And that's a huge thing. Cause it's like, like you were just saying, you, you've traveled and you've been places. And I feel like for Houstonians, especially traveling around the U S it's not till you go to other cities where you're like, Oh, they don't, they don't be having food like us. <laughs> Cause I mean, I lived in New York before I, before the pandemic, I lived in Brooklyn, uh, bedside specifically. And I would tell people, you know, New York got a lot of great food, but it's a lot of bad food here. I'm, I'm not going to mm -hmm. act like, you know, every corner has the bomb, you know, Asian food spot and every corner has the bomb, you know, Italian. Like I've had some trash Italian in, in Brooklyn, in New York period. Mm -hmm. So I, I can honestly say you have to go and do the work in certain cities. Whereas in Houston, I feel like you really could, you could pick a restaurant off of a corner. You're probably going to be all right. It, it's probably not going to kill you. The food's going to be decent. It's going to be prepared to the proper temperature. You know, I just had a conversation about Atlanta a couple hours ago. Everything in Atlanta to me is overcooked. And I'm sorry. I just, I love Atlanta as a city, but they don't understand medium rare lamb. I, I, I just, I'm okay <laughs> for that. But I know that if I say medium rare or to the chef's preference, they're going to bring me well done lamb chops. I, I, I accept this, you know? Um, so, you know, Houston, just, we have some, Really, I think what we have here is a lot of culture. We have culture that respects their own culture. They want to pay homage to that culture. And they really believe in doing the work of studying their cuisine. And, and they apply it properly. I, I mean, it's, it is, it's far-fetched. You're right in other cities. I yeah. won't lie. Yeah. I mean, it, it is amazing. I'm sure you've had some terrible Mexican food in, uh, in, oh, in New York. Ugh. I, I yeah. recommend Mexican food in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had I've had terrible Mexican food in Mexico. I mean, you know, I you know. To, <laughs> the other thing you have to understand too, as Texans, we have to understand that Tex-Mex is different than authentic Mexican mm. food. It's different than uh, California. Now, California think they up on us, y'all. I ain't, I lived in California as well. California, they think they tacos are bomb. They think are they though? I want to know. You've had both. Thank you. I don't like Taco Tuesday. They could keep it. I don't want to do it out there. It's not good. It's not good. I've, I've, everything. I've let people from Houston take me to Taco Tuesday in LA swearing. I say, you have lost your taste, bud. I am so sorry that that has happened to you in your transition here, but I'm not impressed. Texas is home to the best tacos. I, I don't know. We, we do. And it's, it's crazy because people have their specific taco and like, you're right. I, I can move to a different neighborhood and be like, where's the taqueria? Then go there and be like, this is amazing. That You make the sauce in-house? 
Your grandmother yeah. made these tamales? That's amazing. I mean, at the gas station, you can get yeah. better than a full-blown restaurant. Like, one of my favorite spots in Houston is a little 24-hour mom-and-pop spot. It's over our Richmond Montrose. I used to not even tell people where it was because I didn't want to run into nobody. But Chipotepec used to be that spot. Like, that's where I would, I would land and come home and wouldn't tell nobody I'm here. I'm going to Chipotepec, my little plate, and then, you know, go all the way to the back of the restaurant and get a margarita. Like, I'm very specific about what it's supposed to taste like. Like, in New York, they don't even do queso. You Don't worry about that. Don't even ask them for queso. I'm they sorry, what? They don't really? Uh-uh. Denver has better queso. Denver, Colorado. Denver? Okay. Matter of fact, the only place that I enjoy in Brooklyn is owned by a man from Denver, Colorado. He's not even from New York. So I'm just saying. And I Denver, could go on. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, because Denver has a much larger Hispanic population than people. Like when I first went out there, I was like, where? It was like a lot of Mexican people moved out to Denver, Denver, Colorado. It's the construction community. They're doing a lot of building out in that, you know, part of the country there. You know, Denver's one of the fastest growing cities. So when you think about construction from Texas, it's an easy route. Like, oh, I'm, I'm living in Austin. Okay, I'll move to Denver because Denver and Austin have like a similar vibe of like the hippie, you know, cannabis communities and all of that. So there's cannabis, construction, these things just kind of route people to Denver. I, I love Denver for that. I mean, it's not a place I would live all the time, but I don't mind a lay over there. I don't mind getting stuck in Denver for a little while. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. What got you, uh, what got you started just in cooking in general? Um, I love this question. Um, I, I do, I love this question because I get it in every interview and I'm happy to answer it the same way. I actually knew that I wanted to be a chef when I was five years old. I'm, I'm not the person that got into food because I was in the military or, and, and there's nothing wrong with these routes. I, but you know, a lot of people go and have full other careers. When I was in culinary school, a gentleman that was working in my class, I mean, he was a 48-year-old police officer. And I got sad because he told me he's always been passionate about food. He just didn't, his parents wouldn't allow him to go to school for that. They didn't look at it as a, a true education. And so vocational school is looked down on, or it was when I was in, when I was pursuing culinary arts, everybody talked to me like I was going to the military. Like I was just like, giving up the fun collegiate experience and all that other stuff. But when I was five, you know, my mom asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told her straight to her face, I wanted to be a chef. I was the kid standing in the table, uh, you know, on the table, on the chair, messing up my mama's whole kitchen every night. I would get in trouble at two o'clock in the morning because I was making my, I, I remember one story, my cousin from California, they came to visit and I had taken my mom's steak which my mother, you'd have to know, she never ate steak. So her having a steak in the refrigerator was kind of a big deal, probably. I cut the steak up into these little bitty cubes and I made my cousin a spaghetti because we didn't have any ground beef, stuff like that. I was like, <laughs> you know, my mom and I, my mom had this uh, Better Homes cookbook. I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. It was a cookbook. And I should have known then, but probably didn't realize later, I went into pastry arts. Pastry was my degreed field. But when I was a kid, I was obsessed with this strawberry shortcake that was on the cover. And I wanted to make it look just like this picture. Then I got into the book and they had a picture in there of a candied rose petal. And my mom grew rose bushes all on one side of the house. So one day I went outside and picked out, you know, a bunch of roses and I burned myself, but I candied some rose petals. I was just doing very odd things for a very young child 
in hindsight. So I have always been passionate about food, apparently pastry a little bit more than regular food. Um, and, you know, went to uh, Lenote Culinary Institute. That's where I got my formal training. Um, I was valedictorian in my class there. And I, I have always been passionate about food. It's not an accident. It's not a, a kind of a temporary thing I got into and it stuck. I have always been very specific about wanting to do this. Now, the other thing, too, is like you said, when you went to Lenote, you were specializing in pastry or the culinary side? Pastry arts. Now, that's the other thing, too, because you do both. Uh, you get a lot of chefs that are like, you know, a, a lot of chefs that do savory are like, yo, I'm not touching a cake, a pie, nothing. I love when they see like chopped or any kind of competition where they're like, hey, real quick, make a cake. And everybody's like, mm. Hey, nah, yeah, <laughs> I ain't got it. What 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 gears you besides just that cookbook? Uh, what are some of the major differences between the two, and what still leans you towards the pastry side? Um, well, to be fair, nothing leans me toward pastry anymore. I've, I've kind of moved on. I of course have to utilize it within my skill set, but you know, pastry. The difference, and I can tell you, the immediate difference is detail. It is your ability to measure exactly. If you have no interest in leveling flour, if you have no interest in weighing, uh, you know, flour or sugar or butter, if you have no interest in transitioning grams or the metric system to the American standardized <laughs> measuring system, it ain't for you, you know? And that's really the, and it's the chemistry. If you don't really understand food chemistry, you will not master, um, pastry. Pastry is something that requires chemistry. It's not a, you know, food cooking, like, you know, if you're making a gumbo, you can just kind of throw some things in the pot. Even if your roux not the right color, you're going to come out with something that's going to mimic something like a gumbo. It may not be the best gumbo, but it's there. If you put one too many eggs in a cake, you, you, you're going to have the wrong thing, you know? And so that is the difference. It is the ability to be controlled in that environment. And so it's a very controlled environment. You cannot be off by measurements. It has to be exact. So that's the main reason most people won't do it is because it's just too exact. Um, and I think that pastry is intimidating because if you're not willing to, you know, go into that recipe and adhere to it, honey, you're going you're gonna to look like a failure. And most people don't want to look like a failure. So they won't do that. And, and we are coming up on what we're going into the third year of COVID. Uh, I think people have forgotten, you know, that that first month in the COVID, that's when everybody was like, you know what I'm going to do? Make some bread. bread from scratch. I was one of them. Um, it's hard. <laughs> like, they was like, yo, all you need to do is just mix this, this, put in a jar. You'll be fine. And when that failed, and I guess that's the other thing, too, with, with pastry, if you mess it up, you just throw it all away. It ain't no like, oh, I can kind of can't save nothing. No. And the thing is that that is the frustrating part. You've got to start over. And you're probably why there was no yeast in the grocery stores. I remember, you know, getting I definitely was. And there was no yeast. I was, you know, and I was doing something like kolache though. I wasn't making like a loaf of bread. I was like, oh, you know, a kolache would be fun. I was actually during the quarantine, I was at my parents' property. Uh, they live about 150 miles north of Houston. So ain't nothing out there but grass and cows. And so, you know, we don't really have a lot of things. So I literally, if we wanted pizza, we made pizza. You know, if I wanted Asian food, we made Asian food. We didn't, you couldn't go out to a restaurant. No DoorDash? Oh no, it's none of that. So I was definitely in the house, like 
making the things. I definitely gained the freshman 15 during during that quarantine because I wasn't going anywhere. <clears throat> but yeah, pastry is not something you can recover. Now you can get creative. You know, if the cake don't come out the pan, you know, you could just ice it in the pan and just make people struggle. To, you know, you could do some things, but it's definitely a it's a trial and error. And unless you're willing to perfect that thing, it's it's really a a love affair that people don't want to have because they, they feel like failures. That's the bottom line. They don't want to fail. Absolutely. Now you said you're 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 from here. You're coming from Sunnyside. You go to culinary school. What makes you say, you know what, I want to I want to make my mark and remain here in Houston? So, you know, my my jumping point was actually cake design. I was a wedding cake designer for 10 years. Um, and I think in, in pastry school, specifically French pastry school, they do not teach you wedding cakes. American wedding cakes are not included in the program. They are now. Uh, but at that time, you would have to kind of, I, I considered it a continuing education opportunity to go and work at a bakery and learn how to build and construct and become an architect of pastry, if that makes sense. So I think that was the driving force at first, you know, like I stayed in Houston because I just wanted to learn more. I had, there was more for me to learn here. Uh, I think Southern wedding cakes, specifically like buttercream and those kind of things are something I wanted to learn here. Um, I would say at about 30, when I, I retired from doing cakes full time, that gave me the opportunity to travel. I didn't really stay in Houston during the time of me pursuing cu the, the culinary side of, of, or the savory side of culinary arts. I, I left to go do that. I went on to California and to New York, you know, to live in other places to do that. But pastry arts definitely kept me here in the study of, of wedding cakes for sure. Ah, okay, okay. And then- Yeah, I times in, in this journey. I have put a few things down. Um, in this, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I put some stuff. See, I know when it's time to, I'm like Jay-Z, you know, I, I will retire. It's okay to step away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a cute run, but I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> okay, now, but you know, Jay Z will retire, but he'll still come back. Like Jay Z yeah. retired multiple times in our life. You ever plan on uh, popping back out with some wedding cakes? No. Mm -mm. <laughs> no. Oh, now, funny enough, now tomorrow I am going to bake a cake for for now. I still bake for people that are like very close to me in proximity. Uh, one of my best, well, not one of my best girlfriend is. I'm expecting. And so her baby shower has now become a virtual shower. So I'm going to overnight a cake, her favorite cake, her wedding cake flavor, actually, to her house for her virtual shower so she can enjoy it. You know, things like that. I don't mind popping out. Just a little cake. You know, how do how do I get in this inner circle? Because, uh... <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? I mean, I, my nephew just turned 18, you know, mm -hmm. I I would love a cake. Uh, yes, baby. I've been making cakes. <laughs> And that's fine. You know, so, you know, it's one of those things like every now and then. And funny enough, guys, I do not eat cake myself. So the, the running joke with everybody was Tiffany don't even eat cake. Like I was the kid that my mom had to take me out for like cheesecake or like a lemon bar or like pecan. I'm a pie girl. I'm not a cake girl. And I have never enjoyed cake. It's not my ministry. Yeah, I'm a pecan pie, you know, connoisseur. Uh, lemon meringue, not lemon meringue, uh, maybe lemon chest pie. You know, I, I like pie. I, uh, I'm not. A where where do you get the best pecan pie in the city? Oh, here we go. Now my friend Terrence is going to say that I'm, here that I'm being. Go. Okay. My favorite pecan pie yeah. in Houston is from Gabby's Barbecue. 
Okay. And one in my freezer right now. I got it for Christmas, but I decided not to cut it. And it's, so it's in the freezer now. I'm going to have it at some point. Um, but that's my favorite pecan pie, hands down. Mm-hmm. Gabby Look. Barbecue, you say? I'm yeah. taking notes. On Shepherd in 610. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like Yeah, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Check this out. You can buy a whole pie or a slice. That's how they know their pie is good, just saying. So mm-hmm. they'll give you the samples because they know you're going to get the big one. You're going to get the yeah, for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you know. What is, you know what? You were just, before we started, uh, you were talking about your birthday and your daughter cooked for you. What was it that, what was it that she cooked? Zoe is has mastered soft scrambled eggs. Now, the, you know, I didn't think she was paying that much attention, you know, but a French butter soft scrambled egg is a gift. You know, everyone does not know how to do that. I just go to restaurants and say, you know, can I get my eggs scrambled soft? It still comes back, you know, scrambled like popcorn. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, I was in Mexico recently. And, you know, at that resort, I could only get brown eggs. I just could not ever get a soft scrambled. It, every egg was brown. Every egg. Um, but yeah, it is a beast. I was going to say that's the other thing, too. Describe, because a, a lot of people don't know a soft scrambled egg. I remember, uh, was that Gordon Ramsay that did those scrambled eggs that one time and everybody flamed him up and he was like, this is just the style of scrambled eggs. And Gordon Gordon wasn't wrong. You know, the thing is people get locked into what they think they know food is because we get, you know, hey, this is how my grandma did Mm -hmm. it. You know, that's why we can't talk about grits, you know, because grits get people in their feelings because- we all pretty much, if you eat grits, you eat grits the way your grandmother, grandfather, mother, father made them for you. It's not a thing of, oh, I decided that I'm going to eat my grits like this. Most people just eat what they were raised being given. So if your daddy made brown eggs, it just is what it is. But a traditional soft scrambled egg is, you know, eggs that have been cracked out of the shell. Usually I would tell people to start with four so you could be successful. Two eggs might be too little to get the, the fluffiness and the, the thing that you want there. So you want to whip the eggs really nicely, put some air into them, you know, so I'd say a good, like two minutes. And this is where my pastry, you know, gifting is. I'm left-handed by the way. So, you know, you're going to whip those eggs. You want to pot with butter, salted butter, preferably. That's my, I don't use unsalted butter. That's another chef conversation for another day, but <laughs> I don't actually add any salt. Now, if you decide, I'm not a big salt person, I know how to season food, but I don't like salty food. So, and if you want to finish with like a finishing salt, I think this is fine. But I usually just take whatever salt is in the butter. You're going to melt the butter in your pan and you're going to pour those eggs. The key is a rubber spatula and pushing. It's literally a pushing motion with your, um, once you see that white come up on you, you're just going to keep pushing and pushing and moving, not doing all this rough chopping like y'all are eating a salad. It's no chopping. It's just a push, okay, around the pan. And once we're, I mean, maybe, maybe a minute to two minutes and it's going to still look a little wet. It's not going to look like popcorn. Okay. We're not looking for little pieces of, you know, eggs that identify themselves as little pieces of egg. It's just one big fluffy, pretty, you know, thing. And then you just slide that thing up on your plate and that's it, you know, and maybe like some kind of buttered croissant. That's what Zoe made for me that morning for my birthday. That sounds amazing. (laughs) And that is beautiful because I remember what Gordon Ramsay did and people was like, look at this light skin egg. I'm like, it's just different. But you know what? That is another thing that you talk about. Like just now when you're saying people, uh, they are 
in the box of the food kind of that their grandparents gave them and then their 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 parents gave them you just kind of keep on going on uh social media i feel like a lot of times is breaking people out of those boxes because one a lot of people are starting to find out like you know maybe maybe my grandma wasn't the best cook because i just did this recipe like she did and a million people don't like it <laughs> you know what i mean but a they're mil- all- like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're also seeing like, hey, maybe they're different. You talk about the soft scrambled eggs, and I see a lot of people on TikTok that do the Asian style omelet over rice, where you mm-hmm. cut it open and it's a wet egg. There's no getting around it. Like when you finish it, but that's just one of those things where you see people getting used to a lot newer textures and things like that they weren't used to before. Uh, for you. Because you do, uh, when you look at your site, when you look at your food, you look at your Instagram, you're trained in fine dining. You're trained in fine culinary experiences. What is it like bringing an audience, uh, like from back home, Sunnyside? Because I already know how, like, we know how my, we've taken my grandma to a nice restaurant and she's like, this was interesting. (laughs) And I'm like, that was good, grandma. On the way home. Grandma. Not impressed, be clear. <laughs> you know, um, you know what? Um, you know, Instagram, and, and I'm glad you kind of touched on this in your, you know, presentation of the question. Who y'all, Instagram has allowed me to take a step back and not be mad. Okay. I do want us to un to loose the spirit of Alfredo. I want us to loose the <laughs> of fried salmon. I want us to <sighs> frying everything. I don't want to see any fried lamb chops. I don't want, I'm tired actually. And I had a little rant about this on my page earlier in the week for my birthday. I said, you know, guys, I'm tired. Um, I, as a classically trained person, it's a bit disrespectful, but in the same breath, I was just speaking about this as well, just a, a few hours ago. Our people currently are really obsessed with the hyperbole of food. Um, meaning, you know, we want this over the top, slightly ridiculous, too much butter, too much cream, too much. And I'm saying too much with love, not because you can't have indulgent experiences, but it's like, really, do we need the mac and cheese to have 22 lobster tails in it? Do we need, you know, the lobster to be fried? Do we, and I'm saying this on a regular basis. So it is, it's a bit indulgent on that end. I would say, you know, I try to introduce people to things in different ways. For instance, in 2021, one of my go-to uh, salad options, people just kept ordering it and I couldn't you know, stop it from happening. I started serving people a collard green Caesar salad. Now, this is something I would have done privately with clients you know, in their homes and all that. I started doing it for dinner for two and stuff like that because I realized as a community, we only understand collard greens to be a stewed, in my opinion, for too long. Uh, green because grandma was busy taking care of white children. So she had to leave a pot of greens on all day, but technically a pot of greens only takes 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. I don't, you don't need collard greens to take four hours on the stove. It's ridiculous actually. So I started teaching just the raw consumption of collard greens and people were like, oh my God, this is so good. This is such a different and refreshing way to enjoy collard greens. And it's, I love those kinds of opportunities to just give people a slightly different edge on something they have been boxed into thinking is good. You know, so I, 
I think to take people from Sunnyside, to take people from Acres Homes, to take people from Third Ward and Fifth Ward and give them or gift them with the opportunity with a just to approach food from a different perspective is a gift that I do possess and I enjoy doing it. It makes me happy. It does. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was this might have been four or five years ago. I went to a friend's house for Thanksgiving and her sister cooked like kind of flash fried, not flash fried, just flash sauteed some collard greens. And everybody liked it except for their grandma. (laughs) It was like, I don't know about this. You didn't do this right. And it is a traditional thing. Like, it's like, look, my mama did this. Her mama did this. This makes sense. But you don't think back to like, yeah, of course they did it because they had to go watch some white kids. So they They put it on the stove. Grandma had to go clean a 10 room house. Like she, I mean, you know, she didn't have time. And it's funny you said that with the saute collard greens, when I was in residency at Dolce a few years back, we used to do this thing called collard green eggs and lamb. It was four lamb chops, eggs, any style. And we did a quick saute on collard greens that uh, people, same thing. People are like, I've never had collard greens be this bright green. I'm like, that's the color they're supposed to be. They're not supposed to be gray, you know, whatever color, <laughs> yeah. you know, we take Oh, so yeah, I think, you know, we've already had one transition with collard greens with the ham hop, you know, the, the ham or the bacon to Turkey, smoked Turkey. And, and so, you know, we're going to get there where we can just kind of enjoy them raw. You know, we can enjoy them sauteed lightly and not make it, you know, this all long drawn out thing, thinking that gives flavor when that's not really what it is. And it is coming. It's coming gradually because it just takes some time. I remember telling somebody, I was like, yo, I did not realize that I prefer the taste of canned spinach because that's all we ate. Mm. And then later on, I was like, Oh no, fresh spinach is definitely better. But I was I was deep in canned spinach had me in a chokehold. I was like, I was I was like, what's wrong with this spinach? At least you ate canned spinach. I mean, it's a yeah. lot of grown people the vegetables, so that's important. Absolutely. Let's it's get like canned, what was it? Canned green beans. You get that plate from church? Canned <laughs> green beans. The the chicken. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a repass plate. That's a repass plate. Yeah, <laughs> the repass plate. Yeah. With that little, that little bit of yellow cake. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be stabbing my green beans now. I'm like, I can't believe that I used to really eat this out of the can. Fresh is the way to go. It is, and, and it's funny because my sister the day her husband said, "You need to release this canned good thing you have," because she has so many canned. I said, why do you have so many? I literally, y'all, my best friend was laughing at me because she loves canned green beans. I have four cans in my pantry right now. And you know what they are? Black beans. That's it. I don't have any, never had canned vegetables. Well, not never. I've had them when I was a little kid. But even probably by the age of like five or six, we were eating fresh green beans. My grandparents grew up on a farm. So my grandma just needed time to grow them, I guess. But yeah, we, we never canned vegetables and there's the salt content the sodium content just put the can i'm like y'all please let's stop over salting our blood pressure is we don't need to do that that is one of the big things where you talk about the the amount of tradition that goes into what we eat so we just assume like well everybody ate canned vegetables so i eat canned vegetables and yeah now we're all eating canned vegetables and then people wonder why things like high blood pressure and things like that run in our group. Avery and I always make fun when we go to people's houses and it's like they got 
garlic salt, seasoned salt, Tony Sacheries, and salt, and they look at that as four different spices. And I'm like, that's four oh. salts mm. on top of something, and you salt in canned vegetables? Like, you gonna and stroke out. There's no conversation about it. Like, even our meat, right? So now when we talk about meat, you know, meat now is in solution. Solution is to make it look bigger, pinker, better, et cetera, et cetera. If you're not sourcing your meat, and I'm glad we're actually having this conversation because, you know, I'm very concerned about our dependency on the grocery store. One of my biggest advocacies is for growing your own food, learning about vertical hydroponic, aquaponic farming, because you don't need a lot of grass to do this. You can grow collard greens in your garage in a kiddie pool. You know, there's hydroponic, like how, how niggas grow weed, allegedly. I don't know I'll, anything about that. I'll, yeah, exactly that. Like, there's no reason for us to be without because if think about it from this perspective, when COVID happened and the grocery stores were getting wiped out, there was no toilet paper, there was no this, there was a. It, it, we are dependent on a supply and command. I mean, demand chain. Like, if we don't produce it en enough of it, or if there's too many of us needing it at the same time, that is problematic in our country. And so, what's also happening is when we went over into our over produce like potatoes um pigs you know we had pigs that you know they couldn't slaughter them fast because there wasn't enough people purchasing at one point they start selling our food to asia so mm -hmm. this is problematic if we don't start learning the supply and demand chain in this country we are going to be at the mercy of the grocery stores again needing to get food there will be lines for basic things that you no longer you know that we don't realize that we can over need if that makes it like you're you, too many y'all need this we don't have enough of that like even right now i just finished a, an order of groceries and you know the girls like oh the store don't have this store didn't have this store didn't have you know and so mm -hmm. that's a real thing and so we really got to start paying attention and doing what we can do within community uh sunnyside actually is home to a, a several vertical and, and hydroponic aquaponic farms um as our other i i my nonprofit organization that's one of our focuses is food insecurity food deserts. Uh, I talk about this stuff all the time. We have got to get a hold on it. Um, high school students, uh, middle school students understanding <clears throat> that growing food is not slavery. And we have to unteach this, you know, that we we're actually the original agriculturist, um, horticulturist of this country. So if we don't take back our power in that regard, we are going to lose a, a grip on something that is really on its way here. It's on its way. And that takes a that takes a huge mind shift uh that needs to occur because like you said like just the idea of uh we, we do equate farming or something like that to slavery like oh well, I'm, I'm not gonna do that slave work where really the quality of food that's coming out of garden mm -hmm. because you you have to lessen the quality in order to ship things miles like you're shipping things states away which means I'm having to have lesser quality. I'm having to freeze it. I'm having to do something to make some level of per, uh, preservation. And it comes down to little stuff. I, I joined the garden and I had, you know, some peppers for the first time there at the garden. And they're just ridiculously hotter than if you got them from the grocery store. Mm. And it's surprising. It's really Tomatoes good. taste so much better when they're grow, And it's like close. And it's like, oh, yes, this stuff is it less like quality. Strawberries are not supposed to be this big, guys. Like one no. of the things in color, we do a, this one dessert that everyone kind of looks forward to doing. I don't know why. It's a strawberry frosé, which is this really 
beautiful little pink strawberry dessert. Anyway, the strawberries are flown in from France, depending on what time of year you attend this particular part of pastry class, because Mr. Lenoth, the owner of the school, is very big on seasonal food. He does not believe in like, oh, it's, you know, January, so we just have strawberries from down to the HEB. Well, no, he, he flies them in from France when they're in season in summer in January. So, you know, the strawberries come in and they're like this small, they're itty bitty, and everyone's freaking out like, how many of these are we going to need to make this little dessert? He said, that's what size they're supposed to be. You all are just stuck, you know, in this idea of here in America, everything's bigger, redder, you know, all this other stuff. So there's so many dyes. I mean, I, I could go on, of course, about the mishandling of our food. It's no longer nutritious. Um, that's why we are, even with COVID, you see so many people suffering because it's not, yes, if you want to take a vaccine, do the vaccine. But if you're not going to wear a mask and all this other stupid stuff, your everyday regimens with your body, what you are intaking, digesting every day is going to make the difference if and when you catch this thing, right? So it's what vitamin C you're putting in your body. It cannot just be, oh, I ate an orange from the HEB. Yeah, that's cool. But our nutrition and our food has plummeted. So mm -hmm. you've got supplements. You've got to get to some, you know, better supplements in your diet, even if that does mean it's over the counter and not necessarily from the food anymore because the food is not enough anymore. It's not, it's like you said, it's not built for nutrition. It's built for profit. And so when you think about money, it's about how many I can sell in an hour, not how many you actually need to feel good. Like you used to be able to eat one orange, you know, all right, well, I got my vitamin C food. You really need like 10 oranges to <laughs> get yeah. the nutrition. It's unfortunate. And we don't talk about this part. We're obsessed with Alfredo. This is what we want to talk about. <laughs> oh, no, 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 absolutely. Because then it also gets down to a thing where, you know, your grocery stores, especially American grocery stores that are kind of setting the standard for the rest of the world is you're more focused on the look of the food than the actual nutritional value. So the, the food lessens in nutritional value, but it looks uniform. And so that's one of the biggest things when you're when you're growing stuff is like, you know, sometimes you grow a carrot and it don't look like a carrot to you. It's still carrot. <laughs> but it's, it's programming and that's a, that's a great point there's i can't think of the name of the company right now i want to think it, i think it's called ugly fruit but it's it a whole way. ugly ugly fruit yeah and you you can get that stuff shipped to you it's just kind of the things they would throw out you know when they're on the line and they're picking perfection um they're looking for like you say what we think a carrot looks like according to a cartoon or now according to the grocery store if i see a little stubby carrot we think it's deformed and there's something wrong with it when the reality is that's just the way the carrot, you mm. know, grew. so there's nothing wrong with it, but we definitely are. We're all about pristine and this, you know, social media drives that thought process as well. We could apply the same conversation to dating, you know, yeah. men, women, like, Oh, her body don't look like her body. I don't know if I want her. No, you know, we, we are very programmed into perfection. So perfection is driving our society to profit because that's the only way we think we can profit it is everything is pristine and perfect but food is not perfect it doesn't you know cows are not all the same chickens are not all the same you know um somebody was also saying about chicken legs i mean you know we went through that thing where churches had those huge you know fried chicken legs you know yeah. but if you get real chicken it, i mean a, a chicken leg is the size of your thumb yeah. you know this right here that's all a chicken leg is. It's not anything bigger than that. But we're very programmed into food being bigger than the palm of our hand. And this is all the amount of meat you're supposed to have in a meal anyway. So, you know, I we are bigger, better, more, more, more. 
And I think that's where fine dining kind of rings in because a lot of fine dining restaurants are going vegan because it's the only sustainable thing at this time. I can grow vegetables over and over and over again. I don't know if I can get more chickens. That's why the Taco Bell thing is fascinating to me. We're in a wing shortage, but Taco Bell has wings for y'all. <laughs> okay. I'm yeah. glad somebody said it because we were trying to figure out. I'm like, I don't understand. Wingstop started selling thighs. I don't know where the thighs came from. But Wingstop was like, Doug, we can't get no wings. We're going to thighs. And then Taco Bell was like, with the wings. I was thinking, you're like, what's a chicken? How you got more thighs than wings? I, Nigga, I don't it's understand. the same bird. I never understood it. You know what it is? It was preference. You know, we used to talk mess about that thigh. That chicken thigh, nobody wants the thigh. Everybody wanted the big piece of chicken. We want a breast. We want a thigh. I mean, no thigh. Breast and wing are the optimum pieces of chicken. Yeah. I still believe this Caucasian is... Occasion meat. But nobody want to talk about that either, which is the dark meat, white meat conversation. But you know, that's for later. <laughs> I, I do believe, like you said, there's two wings. There's two thighs. There's two breasts. There's two legs. You just had a back order, if you will, of thighs. Thighs are the least selected item. However, during COVID, a lot of people welcome thighs because it was the option that they had. Oh, I know. A boneless, skinless thigh. I mean, I ordered some today. I bear one of my favorite cuts of meat for multiple reasons. So, mm -hmm. me, me and Devon used to live together and I didn't have a, I didn't have a job, right? And I was poor. So actually I had a job, it was a bullshit job. But I would go, I could get a pack of thighs and you could get like 10 thighs. It'd be like four or five dollars. At this point, it's eight dollars. Yeah. I was like, what are y'all doing? Stop it. A pack of wings is $22. You know, that's mm -hmm. the regard. So ain't no way, Taco Bell. Y'all playing. Y'all play. I don't know what y'all doing over there. And that, that is okay. recognize now what people, this is where I know we're like uneducated in corporate America. You know, KFC and Taco Bell are sister companies. Yes. Yes. So that's where they're sourcing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a ploy kfc knows them pushing chicken wings is not gonna get them a chicken wing sale you know what i'm saying because you're not known for your wings kfc but if we put them over here at taco bell the people because mind you we've already moved chicken wings over to pizza hut they're also the same company chicken yeah. wings pizza we did that already let's take them to taco bell Let, let's do taco bell and they're selling them it is literally a mind game but you know my, my people we perish you know for I said the same thing on the last podcast that we did. I'm like, it's the same company. Yeah. They're just moving around. It's marketing at this point. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. Sweet simpletons. We they they are winning on the idea of people don't know and they're easily duped. You right now you can sit in the middle of if Papa Doe starts selling chicken wings, it's gonna be a thing. Yeah. We're going we're gonna try. They they do seafood, but we're gonna go try the chicken wings at Papa Doe. It just is really? what it is. I love your vision of, of marketing and how you can see how, like, you, you were basically saying to sum it up, like, aesthetics in America is so important more than just, you know, you getting your nutritional value or more than you getting something of sub substance. It's all aesthetics. They'll be like, hey, there's this Mercedes. It's a billion dollars. And the nigga will be like, I'm going to go get that car. But they're like, yeah. but if you drive it, every time you drive it, there's a 50% chance you might die. But it looks beautiful, though. But I look good in it. <laughs> you, just, you, look just, you just described Teslas. But, uh, <laughs> I literally, I literally couldn't get it out. I was like, okay, Elon, we, we you know what you just mean. described Teslas. 
Everybody I be seeing online is like, dog, I paid 50000 for this car. And here's why it's trash. <laughs> and people are still in line to buy them cars. They're like, the basic ain't even done. The windows don't roll up all the way. They forgot to put this in. And it's very basic. But it's a Tesla. It's the look. Clout. The look is also flipping because we talked about some of the great things that social media is exposing it to. I don't think Houston suffers as much from this, but it's also why I'm not the biggest fan of L.A. food. Uh, stunt food. Uh, there's so much food that pops up on social media that I was like, y'all don't really like this. Y'all just wanted to put 38 burger patties on a burger and just stack it up with cheese. And then you covered it with cheese sauce. And that's that's another big thing. How is that? seeing this wave of kind of throwaway food that's coming up as well. How does that affect the culinary world? I mean, and this is what I'm saying in general, when I say hyperbole food or obnoxious food, it started off honestly in good intentions. You had yeah. this street food, food truck community, right? They kind of were selling this something you couldn't find in restaurants type of thing. Right. And I just think, like you said, it's our obsession with social media of, saying I have this cheeseburger where all of this queso is on top of it. Now in real life, your fingers look crazy trying to eat this thing. It's yeah. running down. Like this is literally for the photo for the gram. I, it's disheartening because again, I'm back to wastefulness. You know, I'm back to this idea that, Hey, y'all like, it don't take all that to eat a cheeseburger. You, that, it, it just doesn't take that. I think that but now that resonates in our households. Now we've got to have, like I said, 22 lobster tails in the macaroni and cheese. We've got to do these over the top things to outdo one another because now social media from the, we call them social media chefs, but from the social media chef perspective, it's this outdoing each other, making these videos like, you know, garlic Parmesan wings with Kool-Aid, you know, or Skittle fried chicken or fruity pebble. And waffles. It's these things that, you know, they're grand hyperbole. It's obnoxious, actually, and it doesn't really taste good. It's just an idea that, oh, let's just play with something that, you know, sounds cool. It started with like Cheetos, like Cheeto crusted chicken tenders, and it just oh kind of, God, yes. That it doesn't be. And, and I, you know, it's not my clientele. You know, my, my base doesn't eat this way. They eat the complete opposite. But I think that we're just in a, we're in a hole, we're in a hole and it's going to be this way for a little bit longer until we realize eating like this every day is not to our benefit. Even overindulging in the visual of this, you might not go home and get a cheeseburger covered in queso, but you might stop off down to the, you know, the hood burger spot and get a burger that you probably don't need. It's all marketing, you know, yeah. it's a marketing. And so instead of you going home and eating a salad or making yourself a grilled piece of fish, you go and get something obnoxious and ridiculous. And again, for our community, it's just not prolonging life for us to make these decisions. But, you know, I'm not impressed. I, that's what I want to say. I'm not impressed. And it is mm -hmm. one of those things, too. There's a guy I follow. It's like Chef Jiang. I'm definitely mispronouncing his name, so I'm not going to try it again. But uh, he was just talking about growing up uh, in, you know, he's like, I'm Asian. Uh, I'm watching our... You know, he's like, my grandparents and my family, soups and things like that were nuanced. And there are a whole lot of different types. But as it's gotten more popular in the culinary world, it's just salty. 
So he's like, all I take. So really what I saw, he was making all these different types of broths. Because he's like, this is a broth that my aunt used to make or my grandmother used to make or things like that. And he's like, it's light. It's not punch you in the face with salt. And he's like, it's not that we don't have those soups. It's like, these are the soups that have gotten popular. So everybody does it now. And so now I'm trying to reverse that and show the nuanced flavor because that's a big thing. How do you combat the wave of punch you in the face Cheeto dusted burgers uh, in your own culinary aspect? Um, You know, I really, one of the things I always say to people all the time, good food is simple. Good food is not complicated. It doesn't take all these different things. And to this chef's point, I'm, I'm a complete whore for Asian food. So if you take me to an Asian restaurant, I'm just going to sit in there and order everything. I love the broths. I love the umami. You know, I, I just, I have no more. That's probably the one type of cuisine I have the utmost respect for because there's so many things to balance within a dish. But, you know, salt is not a, it's not a, ooh. Like, that's why you see now, like, a lot of the new seasonings that you see, you know, are kind of like salt-free. That's, that is a yeah. thing that I, I would say my, my combat is just simple food, food you can see and identify. That's what I like. I don't need to cover it with a bunch of sauces. I'm, you'll never really see Alfredo on my face. It's just not even something that I do. Not because I don't think my daughter loves Alfredo. I, I can make that for her. You know, I, I made some for her the other night. I don't mind making things that I think resonate in that community of people that do like it this way. I just think people need to understand that good food is not complicated. Good food is simple. Good food um, can be seen. It doesn't have to be covered with all these different things. And so that's my, com my combat is just to show up as myself, you know, and just do food that is, uh, I like organic, healthy twist on our soul food. I think things that are fundamentally us as a community, I'm here for all of it, actually. I love sweet potato, collard green. You know, I love these basic things that are indigenous to blackness. But I think that there's cleaner ways to enjoy it. I think there's way, cleaner ways to enjoy it more often. Mm -hmm. I think it the way we know to eat it, like our grandmother's box, we can't do that every week or every day, you know. But I have clients that are, you know, um, athletes that are people that got to go get on the red carpet and all this other stuff. So they want to indulge in that stuff, too, because it's their grandmother's is what they remember. But I have to kind of come up with ways that are, you know, lighter twists on those really indulgent experiences because people still want our, our palate is wired for it. We can't help but desire it at some point. So just, you know, lightening it up, I think is the way I combat it and not going to the one end of the spectrum. Absolutely. What is it as you're say you have somebody like our grandma or somebody mm -hmm. like that, that you're trying to expose to like, hey, I know you've done this like this, but let me show you what is one dish that you're like, this is kind of the go-to or the easier way to kind of lead people into, hey, let's cook healthier or let's try a different spin on this. You know, um, I, I wouldn't use my, my grandmother's actually a vegan, so she ain't everybody else's grandma. So <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother's like 98 pounds and she's always, she's a vegan, like a bean eater. She doesn't do the meats or anything, but my mom and dad, um, they frequent like vegan, vegan, you know, lifestyle from time to time. My dad is actually vegan right now. He had some all of a sudden challenges with, um, sugar. And so, and, and my dad is not a 
uh, overweight man. He's not a person that, you know, overindulges in sugar. He just, you know, I think some of it is stress for black men. I think some of it is he grew up on a farm. He ate a lot of rice as a kid. And, you know, those things, you know, kind of catch up to you. So, you know, my family is interesting because everybody always asks me, like, how is your family? You know, you go home, you know, like, what are they like? And I'm like, you know, I love them because they're kind of like my little guinea pigs. I try a lot of things out um, on them. And so what I'll do, like, I don't know, like instead of having like fried catfish and like grits, which is something that, you know, we would enjoy as a family, I might do just like a blackened snapper where I didn't use any salt. You know, I just use lemon juice because lemon juice activates on our palate the same way salt does. So just to see what they're going to say if it's seasoned. So I feel like if I put all the other seasonings, garlic and cayenne and paprika and all these other things and just use lemon juice, no salt, because my dad may not need salt right now. And they eat it and love it. And so I love those kind of surprises where I don't have to play with, I can give them the indulgence without it being like the typical way they've experienced it. So I can be like, oh yeah, well, you know, next time just try squeezing just fresh lemon at the end. I didn't put any salt. This is actually a salt-free meal. And my mom is like, oh, wow, you know, or whatever. Like I tried, um, I made my parents, my number one like vegan request is vegan crab cakes. So I, you know, one day I was like, yeah, I'm gonna make some crab cakes. I'll bring them over, you know, whatever. Did not, you know, tell them that they were vegan. Not that I feel like it should matter, but because we're programmed in the mind that vegan is nasty. Um, you know, I have to just say I'm making some crab cakes. And so my mom started eating it. I gave her like a roulade, which is kind of similar to like this little tartar sauce, you know, thing and fresh lemon juice, whatever. And honey, she ate this. She said, this is really good. I mean, she said, what kind of, you know, where'd you get the crab meat? And I was like, um, because it's hard for me to lie to my mom. And so I was like, actually, it's not, it's not like real crab. I, I it's some other stuff. She's like, what you mean? She said, is it tuna? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like <laughs> some other stuff. So, you know, I showed her what I use. And so now she's been making vegan crab cakes for my dad. So I'm really just into soft introductions. I don't believe in announcing that something is healthier or better or it's you know the it, it's just an introduction let's see if you like it let's see if you will indulge in it without being psyched out of it first because we get psyched up if i tell y'all i'm bringing y'all a vegan thanksgiving y'all gonna look at me crazy i already know but if i just put it on the table and let y'all be like hmm you know just let you try it that's, that's, the thing. that's something we've discussed in the show of other chefs too because the other thing too is in america uh for a while Vegan had a very, uh, I don't know to say, it, a Caucasian face. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a thing where it was like, oh, this is what I expect, like tofurkey or something like that. And you, like you said, you started out uh, after graduating at a Indian restaurant, uh, yep. which we are talking about a group of people that have been known for vegetarian style cooking as well as cooking with meat. But for centuries, they perfected a lot of these dishes. And it's like, th those are the type of things that should be at the forefront of veganism because most people are like, oh, well, it's not going to have flavor. Nobody describes Indian food as being flavorless mm -mm. ever. And so I was like, it's not the meat that's giving it flavor. You yeah. can get flavor other types of ways. I'm actually, I mean, it's funny you say that. I actually, I'd say about 78% of my diet is not meat. And that's not intentional. I'm not a vegan. I don't go around, oh, I'm a vegan right. child. Not my thing. I just, I, I adjust my indulgence in meat. I'm not a meat eat like, oh, let me get a steak every week. Let me get, 
I don't think like that. I really am. Like, I love a really great salad. Another thing I noticed about myself personally, my personal diet, I'm, I'm not really into cooked vegetables. I like raw, I like raw, I like raw, like I said, raw collard greens. I'm not into the cooking part of it. I enjoy, and my daughter's the same way. Zoe was vegan, um, until she was four and you know she was that way she would drink carrot juice other kids drinking fruit punch you know that kind of thing and it's no judgment I think that's the other thing there's a lot of judgment when you transition to veganism or partial even like pescatarian or you know you kind of reduce meat in your diet people look at you crazy but at the end of the day it's what makes you feel good when I talk about nutrition with my clients you know I'm like what makes you feel good uh Mr. Harvey is one of my favorite clients because he like chefs you you know I'm gonna work out. So, you know, I'm gonna eat what I want to eat now. He, <laughs> and he does work out. This is a 65 year old man. He works out every, every single morning at 5am. A lot of people don't know that about him. He gets up, he goes to work out. But what I love about him is that he's aware of himself. Like we'll go on set for a week. He has eaten clean all week and he feels guilty about eating a little donut hole or, you know, something like, so he's very aware you know, of what his body can do, how he feels after he eats certain things. So I'm very, I'm just big on pay attention to how you feel when you get done with a meal. How do you feel? I also highly recommend eating for your blood type. I can't think of the author right now, but you could just look that up. Eating for your blood type is very important. I want us to know our blood type. I'm very flabbergasted. A number of us who don't know, we don't know our blood type. We're just, and everybody look at me crazy when I say that, but I'm like, because I have a rare blood type, and maybe that's why I know mine. But I think yeah. it's really cool when I was like 17, and they give you the little card and it puts your blood type on it. So, you know, those kind of things are important because how you feel, it may govern you don't really need a lot of meat in your diet. You feel like you do because that's how we have been taught since kindergarten piece of meat, with some vegetables we don't want to eat, some kind of starchy thing that we might eat, and, and a cup of milk. A lot of, and I'll transition again into a tiny bit about COVID. If I didn't say anything else on this show, if you are a dairy drinker, if you're drinking whole milk, um, you know, 2% milk, if you did drink a lot of milk, ice cream, too much cheese, all these things, your mucus levels are going to be crazy with this thing. Okay. I am telling everybody, please reduce your dairy. Even, even now, like, even if you have not had it or you, you know, or you will get it, please reduce your dairy because that dairy that mucus, it don't go together. So these are just alkalizing your body. Another conversation, but nonetheless, these are just small things. How you feel about meat. Veganism might sound a little extreme and maybe you don't need veganism, but maybe just eat meat once or twice a week and just see how you feel. And that's and all. I, I think that's one of the big things too, is exposing people to how they feel because that, the, the milk thing alone, because I was saying, you know, like I, I was born in 1980, my brother, 84. Uh, milk <laughs> was milk was pushed yeah. like people talk about crack no they was pushing milk like yeah. i you went to the library every celebrity had a milk mustache talk about drink milk they was always I milk and was then it took and you realize too it was a lot it was just companies companies pushing milk companies pushing cereal now people don't drink milk and cereal like they don't eat cereal like they used to and you're seeing people like you know, I used to be stuffed up all the time. <laughs> like I was eating and I was eating so much cheese and drinking so much milk. And this is something that's that's pushed on us mm. a, a, a large portion of it. Uh, you know, bacon. 
is pushed on us hard. Like pork, that was just, that's literally a pork industry thing where they was like, hey, we got a whole bunch of pork. Let's figure out what they got government subsidies to push this stuff out. They were talking about they got a whole documentary about Carl's Jr. and stuff being like the first people to start putting bacon on burgers because they got this government subsidy. I just want to ask back to the milk for one second. I mean, these are the questions I ask, and it's not necessarily high level thinking or highbrow. Of all of the animals in the world, how did we land on the cow? These are just questions. (laughs) I don't don't get it. And I said, I never understood the constant. Like I said, I understand like, oh, if you're processing milk into cheese, like I get you're making something. The idea of just like, we're just going to drink cow's milk just for the sake of drinking cow's milk. And And they they were like, well, it helps you with your bones. But I was like, but you pump in vitamin D into it to help us with our bones. So it don't help you with your bones. That's just, yeah, I don't understand. Like, I'm like, you know, there's cats. We could drink cat milk. I mean, we're human. So I would think, you know, when I was breastfeeding my daughter, you know, I transitioned her to almond milk. We never went to like, you know, cow's milk. And then I got, I got her off of almond milk because of course, as you learn more, you do better, blah, blah, blah. And so I remember going to take her to day school and the day school directors arguing with me, citing that I was malnutritioning my child because she wasn't drinking milk. I said, Hey, uh, you talking to the wrong mom. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I said, there's calcium in broccoli. I said, y'all, y'all just, are programmed, you know, so the deprogramming of what vegetables, fruits, um, things of that nature. And I do believe as humans, we have teeth, right? So carnivore thought processes are not wrong. You know, the, the eating of meat is not wrong, but the milk thing just weirds me out. Cause I mean, so many mammals produce milk and I just don't know how we landed on a cow, but you know, here we are that can't, you know, the mucus thing is a, is a thing. And, and you are talking to somebody who can't be vegan. Cause I love cheese. You know, I don't eat on a regular basis. My diet is kind of, I haven't drank milk since I was probably 18 or 19, but I do love cheese, like a charcuterie board. I'll have that dinner. Fine, you know, but I don't want, I don't eat cheese at that level, but cheese and butter are probably my only little guilty things with dairy, but I'm not an overindulgent in those things. But I do think that it's just about conversations. Like I said, how you feel after you eat that bowl of cereal with that milk? Do you really, I mean, do you feel good? Do you feel light? Do you feel like you go do your day, you know, or do you feel bloated? Do you feel like your sugar is a little tilted, you know, <clears throat> all that cereal thing got a bad rep because of dental and sugar. And so we kind of separated it. And then it was, so you, like you said, you don't see milk commercials anymore really on TV. ones you do are for oat milk or coconut milk or silk, you know, these other, you know, milk that come from vegetables or fruit. So I don't know. I, I think we're in an interesting place. I definitely agree with you on that whiteness being the face of veganism and lots of select diets. Keto, you know, yes. you know, ooh, girl, get your keto on, get your keto meal plans and all, you know, everything is. But see, this is also the thing that's interesting. Whiteness is the face of everything good for you. That That is marketing in America 101. Yeah. Um, it just is what it is. And so black people, we are the original beings right we're the original humans here so I was laughing one time I was dating a a Nigerian gentleman about seven years ago and I was living in California and I made some chicken wings for dinner and a salad and you know I had the chicken wings in a bowl 
because as a chef girlfriend, you know, you put your, your bones in the bowl and you finish your salad and then I'm going to come pick it up for me. So I go back out to the dining table to pick up the bowl and it wasn't any bones. Oh my God. <laughs> I said, huh? I said, well, maybe he already, you know, maybe he already went to the trash can. I don't know. And so later on, we're laying on the couch and we're talking. I said, I said, hey, babe, I said, what happened to the chicken bone? I I, I just have to ask because it's, it's disturbing me, actually. He said, what are you talking about? I said, the chicken wing bones, when you got done with them, I said, where did you put them? I said, you put them in the trash? I Was I, you know, I wasn't paying attention. He said, the bones? I ate the bones. What, what do you, I eat the bones. And so it turned to this whole thing of us discussing bones and eating bones. And so it went into the strength of his teeth and the fact that I could not eat the bones because my bone, my bones and my body can't do what his bones and his body do because in Africa, they have a different bone density than we have in America. It's a uh -huh. very, so he eats the chicken bones. Same thing with, I think about Ludacris's wife. She eats chicken bones that is, you know, because her teeth are of Gabon. She knows, you know, you can do that. And I said, my mind is blown. I would crack every tooth in my mouth trying to eat a chicken bone. I already know. I mean, yeah, you can, <laughs> you know, the gristle, I get all of that. But I mean, those are the differences now when you talk about, and they're not drinking any milk. Yeah. And if yeah. are, it's oh, not a cow, you know? So I don't know. It's, it, it, it's a psychosis. And, and when we get to the, Dr. Sebi is gone. So, you know, we're going to have to do our own research now. I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. even with that, like you talk about the differences between, like you said, when it's white, it's, thought of as healthy or right because uh, you know a lot of people will look down on the idea of eating bones but also in fine dining they do bone marrow and yeah. it's the same thing like i was like yo the flavor is in the bone so but when it's done over here it's like oh this is fine dining this is nice this is good this is but my mama will tell you judy coleman my mama will tell you she only gonna eat the fried chicken back, okay? When she makes fried chicken, oh, that's all pieces of the back, okay? She don't oh, care. Yeah. So the back is where the marrow is, you know. And she will eat it down to the little pieces of the little bone in the back. Like you know, you go to KFC or wherever these chicken places, they don't even give you none of the back. The back is just oh, oh, that. That is definitely that is definitely our mom. Cause she is constantly like, that's what she do. As soon as she walk up, she's like, well, save the backs. I, I just want a piece of back. That's it. So that's her favorite back. Yeah. I want the back. And, and that's the thing, you know, coming up in a house of, you know, parents that lived on farms, grandparents that lived on farms, you know, my grandmother picked cotton, you know, all these things, you know, I think about, we were just given the least, you know, and we were excited about the least even, you know, even because the least was better than nothing. Right. And so we've gotten very privileged, you know, as time moves on, but I, and, you know, I don't want to use the word privilege. I think that black people deserve to enjoy, right. Nice things, the bone marrow in the restaurant. It's okay to eat this delicacy. It's okay to eat caviar. It's okay to eat all the things indulge. This world is full of really rich experiences. One of my favorite restaurants in Houston, it's not black owned, um, but uh, Chef uh, Lashane over at Riel. I don't know if you guys have ever eaten there, yeah. but I, golly, I mean, Ryan is a beast, you know, and I'm like, I just come over here just to see what kind of shit you over here doing. You know, what, mm -hmm. what what's on the table today? You know, what kind of cocktails are out here? I believe in having these food experiences, these cocktail experiences that 
are top tier. And, and, you know, and there are places beyond the social media popular restaurants with lines who don't want to take y'all's, you know, rush cards and cash app cards. There's other restaurants out here, <laughs> you know, that will take your money. And so it's important, you know, to indulge in the experiences, take it up a notch, enjoy the nice things you deserve, you know? And so I think, you know, chicken back is fine too, but you, you deserve the bone marrow. You deserve the other experiences. It's okay. All right. Well, before we get you out of here, we're going to ask some quick fire questions that, you know, the controversial ones. Um, so you, you kind of hinted on grits. Are they supposed to be sweet or savory, or is this just a ridiculous argument? Slightly ridiculous argument. Because <laughs> you eat your grits the way your grandmother. But I'm going to invite both of y'all out to smoke when I get my new spot in Acres. I want y'all to come eat my grits and then you tell me what you think <clears throat> they are. I believe in my culinary mind, grits are supposed to be balanced. And that is because corn is the base of grits, of course. It is what grits are. Yeah. And corn has a to it naturally. So there is actually a little bit of both in my grits. So when y'all come, you come and let me know what you think. What do y'all think? What, what kind of grits do you, do y'all eat grits? Oh, I, I, I do, but I'm with you. I feel like, and I feel like it's the medium of what it, it's in. Like I've, I've had them sweet and I've liked them. I've had them savory and I liked them. I would not want sweet grits with a set. Like don't make my grits sweet and then put shrimp on top of it. Mm. But I don't want, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a balance. So yeah, I didn't really want. get involved in the fight too heavy on that. Because I was like, it's grits. But I see what y'all doing. So, you know, I'm going to let y'all have it. I will. Uh, uh, this restaurant, though, when you're making these grits, are you going to have these uh, these scrambled eggs? You going to make them, too? Oh, yeah. So we have a few things going on. The restaurant, we will feature brunch on the weekends. I'm actually excited about that. We've got some smoked lobster tail and grits. So, you know, yeah, I got to come through for that. But um, the restaurant is actually about 40 years old. Um, it had a 40-year-old smoker in it. So we keep, we have kept that wow. element. Um, there is no fried food at Smoked. Uh, we don't have anything fried. There's no fryers at all. Um, everything is grilled. Um, everything or grilled, meaning it's smoked or, you know, prepared stove topper in the oven. So. I'm excited about that contribution to that community because Anchor's Homes deserves, you know, high quality food experience. Um, you know, Burns Barbecue has been there for years. I think uh, New Jamaican restaurants in that area. So it's starting to turn. It's going to be interesting. You know, when they called me about that spot, it didn't make it to the real estate market. They called me privately and asked me what I, you know, and in, be interested in. And I said, well, of course, because I don't want some white man opening up a restaurant in Anchor's Homes for nothing. <laughs> That's, that was my answer. So, yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely have some grits and some soft scrambled eggs for you to come and have for sure. Thank you for, for getting that, not having a white man open up a mama soul food and you never see this person that owns it. Or not even just a white man, a Middle Eastern man with mama soul food who comes and you get somebody <laughs> who owns this. Oh, yeah. Ahmed Akbar. And he's like, I am, yeah. I am, I am like you. I am, I am sad. I, nigga. Like, watch yourself. Watch yourself. I know. That's funny because we had we had my southern brand uh, on here, and he highlights his whole thing is just highlighting black restaurants in Houston. But he said it was very funny the response for he's like not just my people, but especially it's like other people in other cultures get offended that I'm highlighting black restaurants. Like 
Because like you guys have built a business off of making your restaurant look like it was black owned, and it's not. No. And, and and he's like, yeah, they get they get real fiery in the comments, <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, yeah that's I, they, this comment section. I, my best friend is is actually um, she's head of uh, she's over Skippy Peanut Butter, and we talk about a lot of these, you know conversations about food and i'm like man some of these brands just be letting these uh people pop off in the comments and you know food network is one of the i you know i detest the food network so i'll say that here uh, <laughs> I, I um but uh you know they've approached me several times about being on that network not interested etc but it's amazing the amount of comments that i see that are so outrageous and I say outrageous because it's 2022. We get it. If you're racist or if you're a person that has a disdain for black and brown people, we got it. Okay. We're, we're here. But you like the the vulgarity and the, the fierceness of the fingers is just mind blowing to me. But, you know, this is a thing across the board. And I'm like, y'all really don't want black people or brown people to talk about food. Yeah. And I want everyone that is not black or brown that we did it first. Y'all brought us here to do it for you for free. So this energy that black people are finally getting spaces and opportunities, even if it is the food network to talk about food, black women were the first chefs of this country. Okay. We, we were the fact that we don't have the footing that we should have. We're the last and the least of everything. That's what my new cookbook is going to be about that. That is what the new cookbook is called home. And I'm talking about black women and our footing in culinary arts and you know how we lost it. And we are literally, we're lowest on the totem pole in most yeah. kitchens have any respect or pay for that so oh yeah absolutely and it's something that has to change i mean you bring up the food network because you're seeing the, the adjustment i i like in the food network i think the biggest avatar for them is bobby flay and watching his perception in the industry now where people are looking like man you're not that good of a chef and uh yeah i don't know <laughs> it's like i've been telling i was trying to tell somebody like yo Bobby Flay used to be the Food Network. Like you turned it on and it was Bobby Flay like almost all day. And watching them now try to adjust like, oh, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't have got this white man that was like not the best chef. Like even chefs back in the day, I, they had a video of Morimoto talking about him. Like, and this is Morimoto. I was like, I thought he was just like, even he was like, no, nah, that dude is not a chef. <laughs> I was like, yeah. That like peppers and at the end of the day you know he could be a white boy that likes peppers the problem with bobby flay and everyone first of all you got your give an, an account dedicated to your cat being in your kitchen black people ain't here for that we, we're not here for no <laughs> you got a cat in the pots and the plates and the bowl hey sir get your cat out of the kitchen you know that's the thing but yeah there if you think about old old food network like emerald lagasse food network you know morimoto Food Network, there was a lot of respect for real cooking. Like, I mean, I would like them to bring back the original verses, you know, when the, the yeah. what was what was the name of that show? I can't think of it right I, now. I, I, Iron Chef. Iron Chef. Iron Chef. Because let me tell you something, that was some real pressure with some chefs that had to know some stuff and impress some people that knew food. Mm. Now you've got a lot of people who are personalities, but they don't know uh, traditional culinary aspects, like people not knowing things. Like I said in the beginning, food chemistry is the number one governing fact of good food. If you don't understand what a slurry is, like I, we were talking about peach cobbler the other day and that people don't know how to thicken peach cobbler. So cobbler just be all runny 
you have the crust, but when you cut it now, all the juice around the whole thing collapses on itself and it's a thing. So these are things, if you know food science, you can prepare food across the board. But that's why I say, even with the pastry comparison, pastry really taps into the depths of food science. So most people that are really highbrow about understanding culinary arts at the level that they should are not on the food network. And also these kitchens are too clean. I, I, I y'all ain't been in the real kitchens. These kitchens on these sets of these shows, it's, it's too clean, sis. It, it, your kitchen. It, <laughs> but okay, you know. And no, that's no, why no, no, that's I real. I food network because it's fake. You know, it's not a yeah. real. That's what I did like about Iron Chef. I mean, there's stuff everywhere because that's what it is. It's not, oh, everything's in its little container and then everything. No, that's not what it is. It's that a mess. Iron Chef thing again. That, that's where I found out, like, I, I was looking at these articles because all these people were mad at Bobby Flay for cheating on his wife. And then that developed into, oh, you also can't cook. And I was like, <laughs> where is this coming from? And then you go down and there's an Iron Chef of Morimoto versus Bobby Flay. And Bobby Bobby Flay wins. And mm -hmm. it's very weird. And Morimoto is like incensed because when Bobby Flay wins, he jumps on the counter and he stands on his cutting board. He's got his hands up. And Morimoto almost stops production. He's like, that man is not a real chef. You would never put your shoes on a counter, let alone your cutting board. And he was so angry at that. And it was like, that was like the only thing he wanted to say. Like, he's like, I don't care about this competition. Like, that man is not a chef. And so it is one of those things where it's like, when you start to, it's like that chef I was talking about with the soups. He was basically saying, I don't try to gatekeep uh, Chinese food. I, I think anybody should be able to cook Chinese food. However, you should cook it well. So if you come in here and you just happen to have a certain complexion, and you cook mediocre Chinese food, we shouldn't blast you to the forefront as, oh, look, here's the face of dumplings. <laughs> and it's like, nah, man, my grandma's the face of dumplings. And she ain't even famous. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're getting famous for being mediocre. Yeah. And that that is one other thing. I, we didn't really touch on this, but, you know, I think that's what social media has become. It's been about fame, you know, and I am not a person that subscribes to fame, like, you know, yes, you know, my handle is what it is on social media, but if you actually scroll my social media, you don't see any celebrities on my page. I'm not a person that gets off to that. As a matter of fact, I don't have pictures with probably 70% of my clients because it's weird. Okay. I was, I was literally going to say, I was like, this is chef to the stars. We haven't really, we kind of talked about Manny Fresh. At one point you mentioned Steve. And then I was like, Oh, oh shit! She's talking about Steve Harvey. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you you're not blasting your clients out here. But just so people know, she really is a chef to the stars. Like she's out here cooking for the stars. She yeah. said, "I've known Lil Wayne since 13. No way. Yeah, you know what it is, guys. I just, you know, I'm like, you know, it's weird to be like, oh yeah, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm not the hair chick. You know, I ain't giving the guys the buzz because, like, my work is not on the client, but it's inside the client, and it shows outwardly in their complexion and their bodies and all this other stuff, right? So it would be weird for me to like take a picture of, you know, Beyonce eating some crawfish mac and cheese. It's weird, you know, and and I think that people need to understand. When you work in a certain echelon of individuals that are known, 
I cannot do that. I'm under like a 52 page uh, non-disclosure agreement for the Carters. Like I, like there are things that people have to understand that I'm not at liberty to ever discuss. Not, I don't have a photo. I don't take photos. Matter of fact, I leave my phone in the car most days that I'm at work. And I don't think people realize that about when you work with certain people. You, you And some people need to understand if I don't say anything else on this interview, I don't know if this will make the cut, but um, when you aspire to have certain clientele, they are shopping your Instagram, actually. They're looking to see if you're that guy that's got videos inside of someone's home. If you have pictures with celebrities, they're never going to hire you. That, that is what I would like to say to everyone. Some of you are football players are great. Rappers are great. I'm not saying that they are lower echelon, but you're never going to get a Barack Obama. If you th- Let's use Oprah. I think Howard Stern recently said some trash about Oprah having um, you know, a different chef at her house every night during Christmas. He was talking some cash shit and that's fine. But, you know, you don't know any of these chefs. I mean, yeah. I know Chef King. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Like these, and if you go to their Instagram, they have pictures of flowers and lizards. Uh, they have pictures of, you know, their children maybe, or like a family photo in the canyon, but there's zero presence of a celebrity on their page. There's zero presence of their, even their food sometimes isn't on there. They're just there kind of documenting their life. So I think there's a misunderstanding of, you know, because I'll use DJ Khaled because Khaled posts my friend Melissa almost every day on his page. But Khaled is a great example of someone who just loves the person that's dedicated her life to his his well-being. And she wa- he wants to show her off, right? And, and her work and all of that. And I think that's amazing. But most clients are not chef or not DJ Khaled and most chefs are not Chef Melissa. And so for that, you know, they're never going, you know, they're, these people just don't want to be exposed at that level. They don't want you seeing them downing fried chicken because they're not supposed to be eating no fried chicken because y'all don't think they eat fried chicken anyway. So it's all of these <laughs> privacy, you know, that I'm in a very intimate space in someone's life. I see them with no makeup on. I see them with their fresh, you know, plastic surgery, you know, knows that like you know you see people in their most intimate spaces and so it is not something that would be on social media so you know yes to the football players and the guys that are like you know showing off their chefs I think that's great but that's not how most of these people move they don't want you taking photos in their private spaces they just don't so yeah and especially as you know you get you know you're a celebrity and people are weird uh I mean there's no getting around it Nobody wants to wake up and be like, you know, have a whole site dedicated to what, especially nowadays, what my child eats. You know what I mean? I'm like, y'all are y'all are looking at what I think I saw a post the other day about how many people, well, Kim Kardashian's daughter went live when she wasn't supposed to for, I don't know, what was supposed to be, I think like 20 seconds. And they were talking about the number of people that went and were in the live. And I'm like, Doug, it's like this many people are looking at, you don't know. And, you know, of course, it's all innocent, but it is still, it's weird. (laughs) Like, there's no getting around it. I won't wake up and be like, yo, the whole world know what I have for breakfast? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Or or that, you know, or that, I'll use another family. I, I love the Smiths. The Smiths were one of my favorite clients. When they when they decided to do Red Table Talk, I was like, oh, this will be interesting to kind of see my work office because the Red Table is actually right off the kitchen. Um, and so the way their home is set up, there's a kitchen 
that they work out of. And then there's a kitchen that we work out of. So our kitchen is never seen, right? We walk around and we, we serve them, but no one is ever in our kitchen, if that makes sense. And so when they decided to do that show, I was like, gosh, I said, that's such a vulnerable thing, you know, because I know that is a real place in their home. Mm-hmm. That's a, that they discuss their family, happy times, low times, whatever the times there, this is an intimate thing for them. And I was very concerned because when you love people from a real place, when you know them, um, I remember there was a bunch of, I don't, and, and a lot of people don't know this either. I don't follow things like the shade room or uh, gossip or any of that stuff. And so there was some, a bunch of stuff out about Jaden one time and somebody asked me something real smart. And I was like, y'all gotta stop talking about people y'all don't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, please. And I, I'm saying that to you with love. Like you really, y'all have got to stop uh, in just over instigating things that you literally don't know any, because it's entertainment. Right. So I get it in your mind. It's entertainment to you, but these are people's real lives and it's just not okay to like go around making this a nauseous, you know, assumption. And so, you know, I think that when they started the Red Table Talk, I knew it would do more good than bad, but I knew it would also open them up to some vulnerabilities that, you know, you just don't want to deal with. But I think it's important to understand that the Smiths did their healing before they opened that show up to the public. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things they talked about that we're privy to now as a community, they've been in therapy for these things for years. This is not a new thing for them. So they they are equipped to be out here talking about their real things that are happening. So you know, I, I mean, I worked for them during the entanglement. I, I remember all that stuff. And I and I I was like, you know, all right. You know, meaning that I didn't realize those things were happening even at a certain point. Yeah. But the love that was in that family is undeniable. The respect. Those kids, let me tell you something. Jaden called me Miss Tiffany. You know, I'm 39 years old. I'm just saying that's the level of respect that they were raised with. Their grandmother was very present in raising them, you know, and all of that. So they have the utmost respect for adults and for authority and all of that. So there's just a lot of intimacies when you get to know families in that way. And it's a very respectful um, place. And I think that it's an honor to serve families in these intimate spaces. And, and we can't be out here. That's why I say all this Instagram and taking pictures, it's, it's disrespectful. And you'll never be, able, you'll just never get a job with those people. I can tell you now they're, they're just, they're big. They, they on your Instagram, I promise you. If your name gets submitted, the first thing they do, Mm-mm. And and they, they smart. Smart. Especially given what they have to deal with. I will say the Smiths are one of those families that I feel like, because you every time press is out about the Smiths, I always tell people, I'm like, go, whatever they quoted, go back and find the original quote. Because I promise you there's more. And it's it's wild where it's like one of them can say one thing and then they're like, okay, well, I know you said this, but I also know how this is supposed to look so i'm gonna make this look like this and it happens all the time so i think like i I said i like the red table because i mean will and jada have had some very frank discussions about their relationship and i think they've been very clear but the tabloids have always been like but this is what the story that we want to say uh Even not even going that deep, the kids. I remember when they were talking about the kids were out of control. I was like, yo, Jaden and Willow are just out of control. They don't, they're being raised incorrectly. And I was like, the the dude that started the smart water company and all that. I was like, I don't know. 
these these children are the most respectful, quiet, most turned down, disciplined. You know, someone was like, I mean, so what do you think they're going to do when they grow up? I said, whatever they want. You got to yeah. remember these children were born into privilege. They were not born into struggle. They were not born into poverty. They don't know any of that, right? They understand it. That's what's beautiful about those two children and, and Trey. Those three children in specific is that their empathic nature, their energy and love. That's why Jaden, you know, can start a food truck that feeds homeless people. He doesn't even want any money from it. He yeah. wants to pay to run the food truck so that, you know, they can make, you know, the this difference in the community. You know, I we I my nonprofit, we did some work with a, a mutual organization, um, just uh, the water company and his 501c3 organization and my 501c3 organization work with the same church in Flint, Michigan for the water crisis. And, you know, to watch Jaden and Jada fly to Flint, work and, and meet with this black couple, which I call my cousins now, my cousins, Katrina um, and Pastor Tillman, you know, they are a beautiful family who have taken on the gut-wrenching task of making sure these families have water every single day. I don't think people understand this. People were bathing, okay, with a bottle of water for five years before we even got to them, okay? Yeah. And so it's disheartening to think that somebody with that level of heart who's taken away from their Hollywood home, going to fly out here and check on these people, put them in contact with amazing people like Ellen, people that want to sponsor these water boxes. Jaden's uh, nonprofit paid for research over at these um, institutions, these universities to do research on how do we clean this water in like rapid time? Like, how do we figure this out? Because our government had no response other than, oh, well, you know, trying to point the finger. Yeah. Meanwhile, being pointed, but these are, ch I know children with a 13.2 lead level in their blood. This is insane to me that we don't, this is a this is a crisis and you all are treating it like, oh, you know, it's just a little dirty water. You know, it's just a, I mean, people are getting lead poisoning from bathing in water. So, mm. you know, those are the types of real life issues that I think these people take on and nobody talks about, you know, their philanthropic things. Let's put the eyeballs on that. Y'all worried about who somebody's sleeping with and who somebody's hanging out with and if they're doing drugs, but there's all these other things that we could be paying attention to that are bettering our community and we can start undergirding community in a bigger way. But People just like the hot topic, you know, like you yeah. said. So, so and, and may I add, the hot topic is not true most of the time. That's all. So, oh, no, no, that's a big thing. And I was like, you know, it's funny, too. Like I said, when you go back and you follow the quotes, you find out not only is the hot topic not true, it's right there in the quote. Like, you can go back and look, and I was like, oh, y'all have developed a whole thing just off of a headline. And now y'all are just doing like cosplay. Like, y'all, this is fiction. You're just making it up because it's a good story. Um, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, this has been great. We could talk to you probably for another few hours about Thanks, so guys. much stuff. Uh, we definitely want to have you back on. So good. But how do we reach you? How do people find you? Talk about the new restaurant, all this stuff. So people know what is going on with you, especially you and here in Houston. All right. So Smoked uh, is coming to Acres Homes pending, you know, the city of Houston. They love me. So I know they're going to get all these permits, you know, checked off or whatever for me. So uh, just so we're clear, Smoked is a takeout only establishment. I'm not, you know, there's no hangout here. I don't have the turn up down to the smoke. What we do have is great food to go. It's a takeout 
COVID-friendly experience, come through, place your order. We will be on all the apps, you know, all the the DoorDashes, Uber Eats, and all those things. Um, hopefully, we'll be open at the top of March. Uh, we're going to do a, probably a little soft opening for Black History Month. Um, and the food there, like I said, very indulgent food. I'm like, you know, this ain't a place to save your calories or get snatched. We have a couple of things on there that are nice figure friendly items. The collard green Caesar is, is on there. So that'll be fun. Um, that will be top of March. Um, in the meantime, obviously, if you want to reach out to me for private chef services, brand services, et cetera, my website is tiffanyjanelle.tv. And Tiffany is with an I for anyone wondering how I spell that. I am Chef to the Stars on Instagram. I don't really tweet. I haven't tweeted in a very long time, um, but because it gets me, I wouldn't even say in trouble. I just don't have time to engage the conversations. But Chef to the Stars with the number two on Instagram. I am not on TikTok or Snapchat or any of these other things. I don't even know if Snapchat still exists. Um, but yeah, Chef to the Stars. And, and you can always e- send me an email. Uh, because I did have Chef to the Stars before Instagram, Chef to the Stars spelled out regular, no numbers, Chef, T-O-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-S at gmail or me.com. Um, that's it. I mean, I'm around. I don't have any pop-ups. We did a great pop-up last year. Uh, hadn't done one of those in a while. But now with smoke, people will be able to come and get food at any time of the week. So I'm excited to give that back to Houston for sure. Good. That sounds great. That sounds great. Well, thank you very much, Tiffany. I mean, you 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 really like showed up and showed out. Like you said, you, normally you might get like a, a list of what we're going to talk about, but it was just free talk and it was good. And we want to thank you very much once again. Uh, like you said, this is another episode of In My Humble Opinion. I'm Avery, like a very nice guy. This is my brother, Jess Devon, ladies and gentlemen, as you know him as. He's just nodding his head over there. That's me. <laughs> That's what he <laughs> If you want to be a part of the Humble Hive, you got to like, share, and subscribe at My Humble O, in My Humble Opinion Podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Bring it back. Humbly yours in My Humble Opinion Podcast. H-Town. It's too sweet. H-Town's too sweet. Look at that ring light in my glasses. Look. I got to take it off. There. There.